If it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. All right, welcome to another edition of the Out of Bounds podcast. Josh Derso, Nate Sharman here with you right on the heels of the RBC Heritage uh, at Hilton Head. And wow, what a what a tournament, what a finish. We had extra golf. Yeah, what a finish indeed, Josh. On the third playoff hole, Matthew Fitzpatrick takes down Jordan Spieth to win his second career PGA Tour win, an elevated event, and now in the trophy case for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Took three extra holes, like I said. Matthew Fitzpatrick hits that brilliant nine iron on the fairway at 18, almost holes it for two. Hits it to about a kick in. Jordan Spieth unable to make birdie on that final playoff hole. So Matthew gets to claim the plaid tartan jacket that they give away every year at the RBC Heritage. Uh, an emotional a moment for sure for Matthew Fitzpatrick. That was a, a course that him and his family traveled to often when he was a kid. So it was really awesome to see him and you know some of his family members on that 18th green celebrating the victory. So really cool moment for the Englishman. Matthew Fitzpatrick wins a major last year with the U.S. Open. Now wins an elevated event this year. It uh, can only point towards up for the, for the young man, the 28-year-old. He just keeps on winning. Yeah, and really interesting, too, watching how uh, the last few holes of regulation golf and then the playoff happened with just, um, you know, tough breaks for both with putting. Um, you know, we it looked like Jordan was going to hole out on the first two uh, playoff holes and, and end it. Um, didn't. And, you know, just basically left the door open for Fitzpatrick to, to get the win. And like you said, that that nine iron shot uh, into the green on 18 was incredible. It was interesting because it almost felt like on that last uh, playoff hole that the only way Fitzpatrick was going to win was if he knocked something really tight because his putter did not it did not help him coming down the stretch. It just didn't. I mean, he absolutely blocked two real. I mean, technically three. Uh, what would have been really crucial putts um, and then, uh, you know, just knocking it close enough to have a have a kick in for for birdie to win the whole thing. That's that was how it was going to have to happen for him, for sure. And his putter was is unreal all weekend, really. I mean, he shot 63 on Saturday to give him the lead after the third round. And then he shoots another follows it up with a 68 on Sunday, made a lot of great putts. But like you said, Josh, down the stretch there, you know, they get a seven footer on 17 that he pushed yep. right. 18, he has, you know, tw- I think it was like a 25-footer. That possibly for the win, he, he misses that right as well, too. But, yeah, going back to Jordan Spieth, uh, Josh, that putt on the first playoff hole, probably about a 15-ish footer. It looks like it has it has the speed, of course, just break, grazes the right lip and lips out and goes to the back of the back behind the hole. And it looks like, to me, I just, I've watched it a bunch of times. I don't, I don't know how that doesn't drop. You know, it looks like it has the right speed and – it just doesn't fall for him. And you, he did the putter raise, right? He, he did the, he, as the ball was trumbling towards the hole, like the, you know, I won the, I won. And then you could just see the expression in his face. He drops the putter to the ground and hands to the face. It's just really, really crushing for a guy like Jordan for him to, uh, that ball not to go in. You know, we see him so animated on the greens, but 
He also played very well uh, the whole tournament, too. Followed up that great finish at the Masters last week with another great finish here at the RBC Heritage. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this and this is where things really start to shift, I think, right? Because um, we're going to talk about both of these golfers next and the trajectory that they are now on. Um, let's start with the winner, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, do you think he has what it takes to become the number one golfer in the world? Does he have the game to get all the way uh, there and compete with the Roms and the Schefflers and the McElroys week in and week out? I don't know why he doesn't, right? I mean, we've seen this this guy these last two years. He absolutely ripped up the Euro Tour, right? When he was a younger kid out, you know, getting in that in his low twenties and comes over the PGA tour, struggles a little bit, but last year he wins the US Open, wins the Heritage this year. So I, I think he has what it takes, right, to, to become number one in the world. But like you said, the end of your question with the Roms, the Schefflers, Thomas's, Speeth, you know, all these guys are just so darn good. And every week, you know, someone different can win. So it's gonna be it'd be really challenging for him to get to number one. But I can't sit here and say that he can't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we we it's easy to look at these two and see one going a very different direction than the other. Um, and then the historical piece of it, which would have been had Spieth won, um, he would have become only a, a handful of golfers who've got 14 wins. So, you know, again, it's it is a an interesting spot for Fitzpatrick to be in right now because his game is so different than Scheffler's or Rahm's. Yes, it is. And I'm not really sure. It's really hard to evaluate where he would fit in He's that. so analytical. Yeah. And like, you know, if he doesn't hit the ball as far, he's obviously he's much, he's a very unassuming, you know, guy on the course. He's not an allowed in your face kind of guy. He's never like drawing a huge crowd. Like today he was, he was literally playing against the crowd. I mean, he was not the fan favorite and it was very clear the entire, I mean, watching the entire broadcast, it was very, very clear that the fans in Hilton had wanted Spieth to win. And that yeah, being was it. not American, right? Definitely the um, fans are going to turn against you a little bit. So, you know, I, I, I'm curious and it, it really comes down to after the major last year, we kind of had expectations of him looking a little sharper through the rest of the season. Didn't happen. I'm curious now if this maybe gives him a little more confidence and maybe we see him put together some better finishes, maybe get another win or two in the next couple months. Um, and I think we could by, you know, FedEx Cup playoff time be talking about, you know, maybe he is one of the three or four or five best golfers in the world. Yeah, like I said, I don't see why not. I mean, beginning of the year, this this, this PGA Tour season, he was not playing very well. <laughs> he was struggling to make cuts and had some missed cuts in there. Played a little better at the Masters and now gets the win. So that's just huge for the confidence, right, Josh? You know, we Absolutely. see a guy that, that struggled the last few years, too, and even before that major, went to the cross-handed chipping technique, had won with that last year, now has won with it again. A lot of times when you see guys do that, you know, you could – Think about like Kevin Kisner, a guy that's been struggling a little bit around the greens, goes to that cross-handed. But maybe Fitz just Fitz just loves it. You know, he plays so well with it too. So that's interesting to look at that kind of a guy, right? You know, maybe things aren't going perfect in his head, but wow, this can really turn on a dime with him getting this win. And um, I don't see him going anywhere anytime. I don't see him going any, away anytime soon. Excuse me. So I I wouldn't be surprised if he's around in those FedEx Cup playoffs for the end of the year and maybe even picks up one or two more wins this PGA Tour season. Definitely not. And I'll also say this, 
I think there's, you know, we talk about the top three or four best golfers in the world right now. The guys that we're seeing and hearing about every single week, there's that crop that's just below them. Yes. That, that which includes, by the way, in my opinion, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, uh, Colin Morikawa, that group, Victor Hovland. Um, I think Fitzpatrick safely puts himself in that group now, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you might even put him a hair ahead of that, you know, kind of in between those two groups, right? right. You know, he's he's won a major championship in the last 12 months, right? I mean, yeah. a little bit more than that, but it's just un- unbelievable that he's been able to do this. He's the kind of guy that kind of flies under the radar, right? You know, he's not someone you talk about very much when you're talking about these good level of golfers. You know, he's, he's like you said earlier, he's different. You know, he puts with the pin in every single time. He's Very always looking unassuming. at his yardage book. It's it's down to every single yard. He has every single shot that he's ever hit. If you take a look <laughs> at that, um, the the Netflix series about him, he has all of his yardage books from forever ago. And he can tell you, you know, from uh, from some of his amateur amateur tournaments that the shot he had on number 14, you know, during <laughs> during a turn a random tournament. He's that kind of guy. So he's a little bit different in that sense. And so that's kind of maybe why you're not going to hear about him as much, but although a great player and someone, someone cool to watch. I think it's kind of fun to watch him play. Yeah. So the, obviously the other side of that coin is, uh, does this finish for Jordan Spieth as close as he was, um, is, does it become a setback? I don't think so. You know, he won last year in the playoff and this event against Cantlay. And then he played well at the masters last week, played well this week, obviously to get into the playoff. So I don't think it's a setback. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really demoralizing, especially with that putt on 18, like we talked about that could have went in on that first hole, but I don't, I don't think it's a setback for him. Uh, do you think so? I don't. And I, I pretty much think that he can look at this week and he can say there weren't any mental mistakes. Right. Like, I don't I don't think he can consider those missed putts mental mistakes. He didn't do anything stupid coming down the back nine that, that would have taken him out. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, he's got to feel pretty good about where his game is. Right. And if nothing else, sure, he hasn't he hasn't won. But boy, he's been hanging around. Right. And to have racked up the top tens, top five. Uh, situation that he's, you know, put himself into over the last two two months or so. You got to feel good, right? You got to feel right. good about it. I thought he made a mental mistake on on ten today. He hit his tee shot down the left side and it took a couple bounces, hops in the water. So you know that's something he was right near the lead at that time. And you could say, oh no, for Jordan, like you said, the mental mistakes could kind of pile up there. But he got up and down from 165 yards, makes par. So and he and he goes to play safe golf the rest of the way through, but. Yeah, like Jordan has said, like you have said, those mental mistakes really do quite get him, but he was able to avoid that on the back today. And that's a great example because he didn't let that, he didn't compound that with more errors, right? Right. Which is what we, which is what we had seen, uh, you know, the, the, I believe it was the second round or the first round from the Masters where, you know, he, he hit a bad tee shot and then made a really bad decision. Mm. And that's kind of the, the thing that he avoided there. Um, but, you know, I, I think he he continues to go the right direction. I think he should be a favorite for the PGA, honestly, yeah. um, given where his game is right now. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how the next, you know, three, four weeks play out for him. Right. Yeah, um, it'll be really interesting to watch him at Oak Hill coming up soon here. We got to yeah. talk about slow play, though, Josh. I know you don't love slow play. Of course, <laughs> we've talked about that last week, but yeah, it reared its ugly head a little bit. I would say today uh, in the coverage, um, 
and it pains me to say it, but I think Patrick Cantlay was one of the one of the main culprits of it. Um, he had a really good jab though on Thursday. Um, we know all we saw all even from us some some of this slow play um, kind of stuff coming out from Patrick Cantlay all week. On Thursday, he goes and makes an ace on uh, one of the part threes, and he tweets out the video and says, "Playing faster!" exclamation point. So that was a great jab by Cantlay. I always love those kind of things from players. But yeah, he took a good amount of time today. I think they took about a little over five hours to play, which isn't great. You know, I understand these guys are playing for a $20 million purse and, you know, every shot matters, but I think we just need to find a way to, like you said before, Josh, put these on a, put these guys on a clock and enforce the rules a little bit better. The main thing for me comes in, comes in mind is number 14. Canley hit a second shot on the par three and it rolled over the green and almost into the water but it got stuck in between a couple pieces of wood on the barrier before the water. And he took what felt like 10 to 15 minutes to decide if he wanted to drop or hit the shot. He ends up hitting the shot and hits an, an immaculate shot right near the hole and, and makes four. So it ended up being the right decision for Patrick, but I would have liked to see him make it a little bit quicker. Yeah. I mean, I, I think watching today and we were talking a little bit here before we came on about where, Jordan Spieth fits in that whole debate how fast of a player he is. He's certainly not as fast as a as a Fitzpatrick. Like Matt clearly right. seems like a faster player. Yes. Um, but he's kind of in the middle. And, you know, I don't think it's all on guys like Cantley who clearly play slower than the rest of the field. Like there are certain guys who are clearly slower than the rest of the field. I think the problem is a little more systemic than that, which is why the tour really should step up and do something. Because I think everybody's a little slower now than they were a, a bunch of years ago. And it's just slowing everything down completely. Yeah, so playing for so much money. Yeah. I mean, that's part yeah, of that, and, right? You know what? Like, I I think that's a terrible, I honestly think that's a terrible excuse. I, I hate to say it. And there's going to be a lot of people who think that's a dumb boneheaded thing for me to say. But, you know, these guys are playing for that much money every single week. We're not talking about, you know, the the non-elevated events. We're talking about the elevated events where these guys are absolutely rolling in it anyway. So I don't want to hear about the money being a factor. Like these guys aren't playing for money. Their their lives are very much secure. Their families are very much secure for that top 50. This is this is about basically uh players creating a product that winds up being tougher to watch because of how they're moving through the process and because of the lack of enforcement. You enforce faster play, clamp down on slower play, and everyone will naturally go a little faster. And that's all the tour needs to do. The tour doesn't need to make any rash, big changes. We've said it over and over again. The tour just needs to enforce what's already basically on the books. Yeah, I agree 100%. I really like that take when you said it's not it's not just Patrick Cantlay because I think I I might have explained what I what I think a little bit incorrectly. It, and you are 100% right. It's not just him. It's just magnified with him since he's been, you know, towards the end of these these tournaments these last couple of weeks. But um it's just oh man, I don't know. It's it's just I, really not good for the game too if these guys are going to take so long. So I I really think the PGA Tour needs to step in. Yeah, like I don't know and you know, maybe it's some combination of, you know, minor changes that get us to where we need to be. Um, but, you know, realistically, like these final rounds, even the most important ones, 
four to four and a half hours should be the expectation. You know, they're professionals. They're playing in the best of circumstances. They are, you know, when, when weather is a factor, weather is a factor. Nobody's going to, nobody's talking about that. We're talking about playing in threesomes today, which makes it a little bit slower, of course, but yeah, even still, like if that's something that needs to be adjusted, then adjust that. But, you know, I think that it's more of a let's tell the guys what the goal is and see if these guys can play to that goal. Because I wonder if the tour has even said, even done anything like that, where they say, hey, look, we'd like to hit such and such a time. That means everybody needs to take six fewer minutes per golf round. Okay, let's do that. And see, you know, evaluate where the tour is after a few events and go from there. You know, I, I just think the let them play and kind of have no enforcement. I don't think it's a great look for the tour. And I definitely don't think it's a good thing for golf. I think I've said it a million times. It really hurts um, the golf industry. The When the average person is sitting at home and seeing guys on tour take as long as they are uh, to get from walking up to a shot to actually hitting that shot. Agreed. Yeah. One thing um, we did see good out of the PGA tour though, this week is, is on the broadcast. That's something we've talked about a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. With quality of broadcast, not being great. And, you know, commercials being a problem too. Well, the quality I thought was great this week. Um, I, from what I watched, it was pretty good. And then they were able to bring in John Rahm on Sunday and he sat down for what felt like a good half an hour for a couple holes they played. And he was able to provide his analysis and he was really, really a natural in the booth. I thought, so it was really fun to listen to, you know, the Masters champ talk about some different things going on in the course. And it was really awesome from him, too, because he's had this whirlwind of a past week, right? I mean, he's yeah. won the Masters. He's had to do all this media for that, of course. Then he gets to the golf course and focuses for the RBC Heritage, plays extremely well, comes in the top 20, then sits down in the booth. Uh, just hats off to John Rom. Amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. I want to see more of it. I want to see the these... I want to see the best golfers in the world. I want to see their uh, personalities on full display and situations like the one that the tour and the broadcast created today is the picture perfect opportunity to do that. I think back to my childhood growing up watching golf. I didn't see enough of Phil. I didn't see enough of Tiger. I didn't see enough of Ernie Els. I didn't see enough of VJ saying the top golfers when they were at their peak I didn't see enough of those guys kind of doing non-golf things and, and that, you know, personality brand being built. Um, it, John, I, I, it was also really kind of interesting listening today um, because Ron was a natural. I, I don't, it was, it was very natural him in the booth and his delivery was really, really awesome. And, and you know, I think this could be, probably a sign of things to come. I would assume that the tour is going to be pushing for more of this through the year. Talk I mean, about a guy that loves to. golf, John Rahm. He just absolutely loves to play. And then he, he has, they have uh, quoted him from, you know, he sits down to go to bed and or lays down and he's watching old YouTube clips, right. Of yeah. past tournaments and stuff. And just is really, really good for the game of golf. John Rahm is just a really good person to have in that in that role. And he's also really good at the game too. So it's just amazing to have him. And but I just really, really liked what the tour has done. 
this season to try to make the broadcast better. You know, we've seen these walk along interviews. We saw one on Saturday with Jimmy Walker. We saw just playing every single these these little interviews with with the mic and the AirPod. It, there's just so much fun to try to try something different. You know, that's something I've talked about with some other different issues that I've that I've seen happen. Try something different and see how fans like it. You know, it may maybe you bring a guy in to do the booth and they're not a natural like John Rom. That's okay. You know, you're trying something. And if it doesn't go perfect and you have to maybe ditch it quicker than you plan to or something like that, that's okay too. You know, just try something different and try to, like you said, market your fans the best way you possibly can because that's how you get the best product on the PGA Tour. Yeah, uh, yeah, it absolutely comes down to just needing more of it. We need we need right. more of that. Um, I think the biggest challenge so far has just been the technical hurdle. You know, the walk-alongs are great, except the quality is terrible because they're using an, an AirPod. Um, you know, I think at some point they'll get that more refined. Um, and yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, but that's okay with the audio, if the audio quality is not going to be perfect at first, you know, right. Absolutely. I don't want that to ever be a hurdle for trying something, you know, maybe you have five seconds of dead air because you're trying something different on the course with a different form of microphone, like an AirPod or something, you know, at the end of the day, in my opinion, anyway, that's not the, the worst thing in the world. You know, if you have five seconds of silence or or 10 seconds of silence for that matter too, because you're trying to get an AirPod in somebody's ear while they're walking up to a hole because the result could pay dividends. And we, we've seen it have with some really good on-course interviews this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the, the one piece of news that we have here that we definitely need to talk about that isn't related to the heritage. Well, is, but isn't. Um, Rory withdrawing winds up costing him three million dollars. Three million dollars out of the player infor- player performance fund for Rory McIlroy. He, like I said, he withdrews from his second elevated event of the season, PGA Tour. Beginning of the year, says nope, you can only drop out of withdraw from one elevated event from the PGA Tour season. Rory skipped the first one, the Century, back to the beginning of the PGA Tour season. And it was going to be really interesting because I wasn't sure what the PGA Tour was going to do. They previously said that if you missed more than one elevated event, that you would lose player performance money, and they came through with it. You know, we talked about Rory. They might give him a pass because he's Rory and he's done so much for the Tour. But nope, they dock him $3 million for missing the second elevated event of the season. Of course, Rory, like you said earlier, these guys aren't doing it for the money. A lot of them, these are these top player guys, so it's not a big deal. But $3 million is a lot of money, at, even at the end of the day, for anybody. So uh, I just wanted to get your take on whether you think it's good or good that the tour followed through or if they should have maybe looked the other way for a guy like Rory. I, I think it's good that the tour followed through because I think they had to. If they didn't, it would have set a really bad precedent, especially since this is basically the first application of the rule that they laid out in the beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, also, I, you know, I don't think the money is that big a deal. Obviously, it sounds like a big uh, a, a wad of cash. But when you consider the fact that we have three majors left and plenty of elevated events, plus the FedEx Cup playoffs, he's going to have more than a, a fair opportunity to earn that three million back. Right. right. So if you know, it's a relatively small amount of money and it kind of points to just how much money these guys are actually playing for now and how much more money they're making, even if they aren't winning, Um, where even if Rory doesn't play great and he just has a bunch of like top 15, top 10 finishes, he'll make that $3 million up by the end of the year. That's right. not, you know, that's not a big deal. 
<laughs> it just kind of disappoints me that if the reason that Rory didn't play this week is just because he's playing poorly. I think that can set up a, a bad, you know, visual for some for some young fans where if Rory is able to kind of throw the towel in because he missed the cut at the Masters last week and his game is not in the right spot. You know, I'm okay with, you know, making sure your mentals are okay and, and making sure you're right before you play, of course, if that's the problem. But if it's purely from a golf standpoint, then I, I think I'm a little disappointed because you have a guy like John Rahm who won the Masters and then plays in the RBC Heritage. You know, they, they quoted him before the round. They asked him, you know, you could have withdrawn. You have one available time to withdraw during the season. And he had a, just an amazing quote where he talked about if he puts himself into the shoes of some kids that came to the tournament and yeah. if the how sad they would be if the guy that won the green jacket, the Masters champion, wasn't there. So I just thought that was really cool from John Rom to say that. But, yeah, Rory, he's got to walk the walk, right? He's, he's definitely talked the talk these last what, six, eight months about the PGA Tour. And I'm really going to be interested to see Rory's next start and, and where he is from a golf standpoint. Well, so I'm more interested, I guess, in seeing how he answers the questions that reporters ultimately throw at him the next time he's at an event. That's so we'll probably see him here in a couple of weeks. Um, and before any golf swings happen, he's going to get that question. Why didn't, yes. why'd you skip? Where are you? What's going on? And... I'm guessing that we're going to hear that it was just he needed to unplug. He wasn't there. And some people will take that as no, his game's not there. So he's just unplugging because of where his game is. But golf is so mental. And at the end of the day, this was probably a decision more based on mental health than anything else. And you can't right. criticize him. You can't criticize a guy for that. And frankly, you know, I think given the the new reality um, of the tour, I think the tour may have to have some leeway with, you know, what the, you know, maybe it's not one missed, one skipped elevated event per year. Maybe it's two or three. Um, because I, I think, you know, there is the potential, there's a greater potential now for these top tier guys to get worn down and get into a bad place. Right. Um, and, you know, that just for the health of the game and for the health of golf, I don't think that's a good idea either. I also think, look, like I, I said it before and I'm going to say it again, and I'll keep saying it every week until Jay Monahan actually acts like a commissioner. Rory McIlroy has been the commissioner of the PGA Tour for the last two years now with the help of Tiger Woods a little bit. But Tiger just does what Tiger does. And, you know, he's more of the force behind the scenes rather than the face and the voice in front of the camera. That's been Rory the whole way. And I think it's going to be a scenario for the tour in general where there will always need to be that person. So it, there will always have to be a Rory or a Rom or somebody who's who's speaking on behalf of the tour if the Monaghan administration continues to not, right? And that is not a winning combination for Rory McIlroy in the PGA Tour. And, you know, I really think it's not a winning combination for Rory's mental health. Yes. And more than anything else, that's kind of where I feel like he is. And for those reasons, you know, you think about a scenario in which he would have needed to unplug and say, I'm comfortable with with essentially being charged $3 million. Right. It had to be some pretty serious circumstances. 
in my That's opinion. For sure. So yeah, I, I'll wait to see when we see Rory next. Hopefully everything's going okay with him and his camp. Yeah. But uh, next week we get we keep on chugging. We got the Zurich Classic coming up. A lot of fun. That's a two-person team event. A little bit of fun to, to see a little bit of mixture of golf being played. We'll talk a little bit more about that on our Wednesday edition. But, Absolutely. Um, always a fun event to watch. All right. That is going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. We'll be back on Wednesday with a preview episode of the Zurich Classic. Uh, follow us on TikTok and Instagram for more golf news. And be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel. As always, whether it is down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website at fingerlakes1.com. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Out of Bounds FL1. See you next time on Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds.